We are close to the end of Paul's letter to the Roman church. And as we get to the end here, we see some, some details, some things that Paul wants to share about what he's doing, what he's thinking, uh, things that he, that he wants to accomplish. And so in our passage, we see uh, just a little kind of some travel plans here from Paul. Paul uh, tells the Roman church, really, here's what's happened in my ministry so far. I've done all that I can east of Rome, right? So uh, I've spread the gospel, talked to people about Jesus. People have come to believe in the gospel, the message and story about life and salvation in Jesus Christ. That's happened. Churches have been built up and established. So great. Uh, but Paul's passion is always to, to bring the gospel to new places, to places where that hasn't happened yet. People haven't yet heard about how they can be saved in Jesus Christ. Uh, and so he and churches haven't yet been established. So he shares with them, look, I've done all that I can here. I want to go now to another place. I want to go to Spain. And so he tells them, here's my intention. I want to go to Spain. But in verse 24, he tells them, uh, he hopes to visit them, to spend a little time with them. And he wants them to know, like, he's really excited to spend time with the Roman church. He's actually never been there. And so it's exciting to be able to be in Rome and spend time with them. But um, it's not going to be for long. Uh, he's hoping to, to go there for a bit and then hopefully use that as a launching point to eventually go to Spain, to continue uh, his, his passion, which is to tell people about Jesus. So that's, that's important. Gospel ministry. He's going to proclaim the gospel in Spain. Then Paul does this, right? I'm going to show a, a map here. The circle is where Paul was writing, the, that blue circle is where Paul was, was, most people think he was writing the, 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 this letter that we're reading right now, the letter to Rome. He just told them he wants to go to Spain. That's the red arrows. And so he wants to go to, to Rome. That's the general area of Rome. And then from there, he's going to go to Spain. He's right there to preach the gospel, right? He's right there. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he tells them he's going to go in the direction of the green arrow, the opposite direction. And why is he going to do this? Well, he says that there in verse 25. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So instead of immediately going to preach the gospel in Spain, Really important, Paul is going to go 2,000-mile detour in another direction to do relief work, to help poor people in Jerusalem. I mean, to go in that direction, remember, there's no cars, there's no, uh, there's no planes, uh, they go by sailboat. <laughs> so to go in this direction means it might be a year or more before he gets over to Spain to start this evangelistic crusade, this campaign, I should say, to preach the gospel in Spain. So what's going on here? I mean, I thought Paul was an apostle. He's, he's abandoned the gospel, right? It's not as gospel-centered as we thought. Well, of course not. I mean, Paul is clearly about the gospel. It's because of the gospel that he's like, I need to get to Spain. That's got to happen, right? He needs to go preach the gospel there to a new place where people haven't yet heard so people can believe. But it's also because of the gospel that he says, I need to go first and bring this financial aid help poor people in the Jerusalem church. Also because of the gospel. That's, that's what I hope to do this morning, to help us see a bigger picture of what we mean by gospel ministry through the life of Paul, a fuller picture of what it is. The Bible tells us, here's the gospel, this message, or we could call it a story, how God has, has provided a way for us to be saved through Jesus Christ. We all need saving. We all need saving out of a life of meaningless, 
this a life away from God, and we need to be saved into life with God, meaning with God and purpose with God, to honor God in the ways that God created us to. We need that message to be spoken to us. It's a message that we can only really begin to, well, it's a message we only believe through Jesus. Jesus is the way that we find God. We find meaning and purpose. We find our way back to God. So that message, that story of how God set up a plan to send Jesus to us, that message, that story needs to be told, and people must believe in it. We must believe in that gospel. Salvation and life from God through faith in Jesus. It's because we believe in that message, we got to tell people about it. That message, once you believe it, you got to tell others. Like That's a huge message. That's a huge story for people to know and to be able to step into. So, of course, that's what we must do. Because of the gospel, we got to go to new places to tell people about this gospel, what God has done in and through Jesus. But here's our main focus this morning. Also, because of this same gospel, we should look to help one another out in our community. Because of this same gospel, we particularly pay attention to the poor and needy among us. The same gospel that motivates us to do evangelism. Tell people about Jesus. It's the same gospel that can also motivate us to do relief work <laughs> in our communities, in our churches specifically. The same gospel motivates us to do both. And get this, Paul in this case says, I need to do one before I do the other. I need to take care of what's going on in Jerusalem church, the poor Christians there, and bring this financial aid to them. I need to do that before, even though I'm closer, before I go back the other direction to Rome and then eventually to Spain. So let's talk about sort of first what prompted Paul to, to go to Jerusalem and a little bit more than understanding of, of how he is motivated by the gospel in this way. So why does he got to go to Jerusalem? Uh, we know from Acts, also uh, just Jews, ancient Jewish historian Josephus, Josephus tells us there was a huge famine. Basically, they ran out of food for about four or five years, AD 44 to AD 48. So... Uh, People are suffering, in particular, people in the Jerusalem church are suffering. They're hungry. They're needy. And so Paul decides, I, I need to do something about it. And he begins to collect money to help the people, the poor people, particularly in that church. And this is like a passion project for him. This is not like a side thing. Several times in his letter, he mentions this collection. I'm going around trying to collect money, trying to collect funds so that we can provide for the people there in Jerusalem. Several times he mentions it. And so when we get to a... <clears throat> we get to the letter to the Roman church, Paul has finally done it. He's finally collected enough money to go help this church. And here we see him, they'll say, I'm going to go bring it myself. Remember, Paul's an apostle. He'll be like, I get someone else to do that, right? I got other things to do. But here's a case where he says, I need to do this. I must do this. I want to do this. Why does he want to do this? And what I'm saying is his understanding of his gospel ministry. The same ministry he's been doing all along tells him, I want to make sure this happens. The same gospel ministry that Paul proclaims, that we proclaim, is the same gospel ministry that we should also want to display. That's the key thing here. We have to show people what we believe just as much as we tell them what we believe. There's things we tell them, here's what I believe, but it actually should manifest itself in very practical, real ways. That's how Paul thinks. He ties them together. This collection to help people in Jerusalem. Paul sees this. Here's a way to show what the gospel has done that I've been talking about. 
Here's a way to show what the gospel has accomplished. Me collecting money from Gentile churches to help the Jerusalem church. This is one of the ways in which I continue my ministry. It hasn't stopped. This is just part of it. Let's look more directly at his thinking behind this, let's call this sort of expression of gospel ministry. This is verse 26 of uh, Romans 15. From Macedonia and Acacia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So that's just one verse, but there's actually a, a lot in there. Notice what he says there. He says, Macedonia and Acacia, those, the churches in those regions, they were pleased to make some contribution. That word contribution in English comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is koinonia. Right? Koinonia has a sense of shared partnership or shared fellowship. So you can reread this verse, retranslate this verse. It says, Macedonia and Acacia, those churches there, were happy to partner with the poor believers in Jerusalem. Happy to partner, happy to fellowship with them. I mean, that's a... That's a different vibe there, if you think about it, a different way of framing this. I mean, normally we think, okay, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help those poor people over there. That's, that's how we, we, we often talk about it, right, when we think about sort of helping the poor among us. But Paul frames this as we're happy to partner with the poor people in the Jerusalem church. We're happy to fellowship with them. What does it come, what is, how, how do they think in this way? How, what does that come from? To think of it more as like a partnership, a fellowship. Again, believing in the gospel means that you've come to a salvation in Jesus Christ together with other people. But then also together with other people, you have a new life in Jesus Christ. Saved together in Jesus, living together in Jesus. Most of us Christians get the first part, saved together in Jesus. I grew up in a church. And so I went, to, I went to a lot of VBSs growing up. Shout out to VBSs. Um, and uh, that stands for Vacation Bible School. For those of you who haven't grown up in a church, I know that sounds weird. Why would you go to school during the summer? It's basically a summer camp, right? <laughs> Just one of those Christian things. So Vacation Bible School is sort of like a summer Bible camp, and we did games, all sorts of different things. And yet one of the things I heard over and over in those camps was you tell people about Jesus, and they're exactly right. I remember it was one camp, it was, you got like prizes if you brought people to hear about Jesus, <laughs> right? So, um, and well, I mean, I, I, people need to hear about Jesus. Like, I, it instilled in me always the sense of like, I need to talk, talk to people about Jesus. And not in this like, um, you know, like I need to trick people into believing in Jesus. Like, if the Bible is true about what Jesus is all about, Right, that God has sent Jesus so that we can find life and, and, and restoration, like all that's broken in us and in the world, all the ways in which you feel disconnected from God and from one another in our world, you find them in Jesus. Yes. <laughs> Tell people about it. Like all the time. All the time. We get that. We need to tell people about Jesus so they can share in that salvation that I share in and I believe in. But just as important is telling people about Jesus is then living together in Jesus. Like, it's not like we've done the gospel after we've told people and they believed and we check it off and we move on to the next thing. The gospel then is meant to be lived out in a life together. And one of the big practical implications of life together in the gospel is that we, we look out for each other. We care for one another's needs. That if there's needs in our community, it's like, bet, I will take care of that. <laughs> I will move towards that. I will minister towards that in whatever ways that I can. 
I mean, for these early Christians, this is all part of a life in common. That's why they talk about it as koinonia. To contribute financial aid for someone else is fellowship for these Christians. It's partnership for those Christians. It's partnership and fellowship for us. It is fellowship for us to say, here's what we have together. How do we use what we have together for the sake of one another? What we have is really what, what I have is really what we have. Again, saved in the gospel, now living life together in the gospel. And that point gets reinforced in the next verse here. So he says, they were pleased to, to fellowship together, to partner together by sending money for this. In verse 27, he says this. <clears throat> for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So this is a Jewish church is in need. He's going to non-Jewish churches mostly, Gentile churches. And he says, really, it's, you can describe it as a joyful duty and privilege for them to do this. He frames it as sort of a duty in the sense of so these Gentile Christians, that's all of us, we've come to be part of the people of God to share in this salvation and life together in Jesus. We've done it through the Jews, that God's message of life and salvation in Jesus first came to the Jewish people, but it was meant not to stay there with just the Jewish people. It's meant to go from the Jewish people and be extended out to all peoples. And Paul makes this direct connection here that in the same way the Jewish people have to recognize this message of life and salvation in Jesus is not just for us, it's for all people. But the Gentiles recognize like, hey, we came in because God decided to bring it and announce it through the Jewish people. Here's the spiritual blessings that we all have together now in Jesus. Paul makes a direct connection. When you realize that, here's what we now share together spiritually in Jesus that's tied into what we share materially now in this world. Also because of Jesus. Jesus has brought us in and we stay in together in this life. In this life we live in this world and how we express what we now share together. Particularly for these Gentile Christians. He's like, you've come in and, and share together in Jesus. That should show itself in the things that you have. And especially noticing those who need help. Salvation in Jesus and life together in Jesus. In the nitty grittiness of life. A common life in Christ. Think about this. As a church, that we think of ourselves not so much as this individual lives to sort of who are just randomly tossed together in this blender called Sunday morning. <laughs> but we are together sharing life together. The air we're sharing together, the space we're sharing together, those are just the smallest manifestations of the spiritual reality. You share a life together. We share a life together because we belong to this church. Because of the gospel, we share a life together in all its successes and triumphs. So we share together and celebrate together the marriages that are here. It's not just your marriage, it's our marriage that we celebrate. The new births that are happening here, the, the successes in jobs and new careers, the people who achieve things, and, and we, we celebrate them, we thank God for them. My, my man Malachi, state champion, I don't see him here, I was going to shout him out, but Malachi, if you see this, he's a state champion, praise God for that. State champion in wrestling. I celebrate that. It's his, but it's ours. It's ours. We celebrate new, new, new homes being bought. We celebrate new cars being brought. We, we celebrate together this common life of all the ways in which God has blessed us very practically in relationships, 
and opportunities. We celebrate those things together because we have life together in common. Also because of the gospel, we share together in the struggles and pains that come in life. That's not just your struggles and your pains. It's my struggles and my pains. Now, this is not to, to, to dismiss the idea, to, to understand that there, when it comes to it, there's some of us who are right in the midst of suffering, and, and I, I can't know exactly what that is, but I can share together with you in it. Because we have a life together in the gospel. So we share together in the struggles that come of broken relationships and broken marriages. Uh, we're sharing together because of the life we have together and those who, who are struggling to get pregnant. And Mother's Days come and go and still yet again they're not pregnant. We share that life together, that pain and that struggle. We share together in the jobs that don't work out and the demotions that have. We share together in the struggles some of our, our youth and teens having or having in school by people bullying them. To hear those things and to share together with them in that struggle. We share a life together in, in all the struggles that someone have and all the sadness and pains and worries and all those things. Life together in the ups, life together in the downs and all those things because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. And that means, that's true, saved together in Jesus, living together in Jesus. And that means as we are able then, as we're living this life together, we notice the things that are going in one another's lives and we look to help each other out. We pay attention to those needs. It frames it differently, doesn't it? Because then we're no longer thinking, oh, it's those people in the church who are struggling, right? We think it's us who are struggling, us who are in need. What might we do? What can we do? We only begin thinking this way because of the gospel. That same gospel that we believe spiritually that saves us matters practically, physically, in the day-to-day. -day. Practically, physically, in those who are poor and needy in our communities, in our churches. See, without the gospel, we actually would not naturally think this way. A lot of people don't realize this, but for most of human history, helping the poor, helping the needy, helping the weak, like, that's not what people thought, right? Back in the first century, uh, you look at the poor as, as, like, it's their own fault, right? There's no sympathy, no understanding for them. Like, obviously, the gods don't, don't like them. That's why they're poor. That's why they're needy. You look down on them. It was not the sense of, like, help, like, doing something to help them without getting something in return. Like, you don't do that. It's with Christianity coming in the first century where something new sort of enters into into the world system, <laughs> into the cultures of our world. This idea that, well, you know, we have a responsibility towards the poor in our communities. That comes out of seeing, and, and you could read the ancient writings, it came out from pagans seeing, what are these Christians doing? <laughs> why are they helping the poor in their community? Again, why do they do that? Again, because of the gospel. See, without the gospel, we might make excuses like, I'm too busy, or I, really, uh, I don't really have anything I can do here. Be very natural to think that way, but here this is where it's worth mentioning in this particular situation: the churches that were helping the Jerusalem church. He mentions basically the churches in Macedonia and Acacia. Some of those churches were pretty well off, like the Corinthian church. And a lot of those churches, so some of the churches that were in the re that region were the Philippian church, the Thessalonian church. Second Corinthians eight two tells us about what those churches were like. Paul says these churches were in a severe test of affliction and severe poverty. These churches weren't, weren't killing it, right? These were churches that were struggling, that had their own issues. 
And here's what Paul says. Even in that, in affliction and poverty, Paul says those churches in abundance have overflowed in a wealth of generosity to help out with this collection. What Paul mentions here in this letter, he has mentioned before in the, in the Corinthian letter, and just saying, just so you know, these churches included, these churches were involved as well. These churches, even though they didn't have much, did what they could. So much so that he says, he describes it as a wealth of generosity. <clears throat> it's a gospel that brings us together. And that bringing together does give us a kind of responsibility to one another, right? That's why he can, Paul can talk about the Gentile Christians owing it to the, Gentile, the Jewish Christians. Like, we've been brought together by Jesus. There's a sense of duty and responsibility here, for sure. But what will actually help us do something is when we, out of that sense of responsibility, we have a sense of joy that God would do this. That God would actually bring us together in Christ. That's why these churches were willing to give, even in their poverty. They were willing to give because they saw it as a joyful privilege, a delight for them to use what they have, however they had it, in whatever way they could, to help one another out. And so this helps you see that what we're talking about this life we have together in Jesus and what that looks like for us then to care for each other practically is not so much about what we have money-wise. It's about what we have gospel-wise. Money-wise, sometimes you'll have a lot, sometimes you'll have a little. Many of us will have something in the middle. And based on those things, we'll make different judgments what we do and what we don't do. But if we start with what you have gospel-wise, you recognize you are abundantly rich. You are rich with God's love, his grace, his compassion, his goodness. You're rich with his faith that he's given you. You're rich with his love. And it's out of that that God then says, see what you might do for the sake of others. See how God, when people, when people are motivated by those things, you would be amazed by the creativity, the ability to see how they could help each other. And maybe it might look small, but it could be huge blessing to say, I'm going to give some of my time. I'm going to give some of my energy. I actually have extra financially to be able to do this. It opens up all sorts of different ways in which you move towards others in our community. And the only way you'll do that is if you realize what you're drawing from is the gospel that you've been brought to. The life you have together in Jesus. Paul, let's be clear, Paul is determined to go to Spain, right? It's not going to be dropped by him. His passion about bringing, proclaiming the gospel, gospel ministry, proclaiming the gospel to people in Spain. But helping these poor believers in Jerusalem is also important. So what does Paul do? He does both. <laughs> he intends to do both. It's not a choice. We don't have to pick one or the other. He does both. But it's worth mentioning, in this case, he says, I need to make sure this one happens first. In this case. It was okay for him to say, I'm going to do this relief work first. But his intention always is to do both. And he makes no apologies for it. He's going to go to Jerusalem and then eventually go to Rome. And notice, Rome, again, is not a side project for him. He says there in verse 29, when he eventually comes to Rome, he hopes to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Helping those poor Christians in Jerusalem puts him in the center of Jesus' blessings. It's not like Jesus is like, man, can you get this done with so you can get to Rome and to Spain, right? He says, I hope to come to you in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, verse 29. We shouldn't be surprised that at the very heart of Jesus' blessings in our lives, the fullness.
fullness of his blessings and his rise comes when we notice those who most people would overlook. When we care for the poor and needy among us. This gospel of Jesus, again, it's a message we've got to share and people got to believe, but it's a message that we live out. And one of the most practical ways you show here's what kind of God we have in Jesus we serve is by caring for the poor and needy among us. Caring for the poor and needy in our church. In our churches. So, because of the gospel, uh, we help each other out. Ready for that? Because of the gospel, we help each other out. In particular, the poor and needy among us. We sort of talk about practically then how that might happen. Number one, for that happen, we have to be deeply involved in our church community. Paul goes to Jerusalem church out of a sense of being in relationship with them. They are not just over there. One of the things you'll notice as he talks about this, and the way just they, they talk about church in general in that first century, it's like us, always us. These are a relationship he has with them. They're family. They're ongoing relationship he has with them. It's the only way he's able to draw money from these other churches to be able to go to the Jerusalem church. It's a deep sense of connection to the church. We're part of something here. Because we're part of something here. I notice what's happening in our life together, so I'm going to move to act and do something. But people today, we're more disconnected. Uh, more disassociated from one another. And so it's no wonder, because we're more disconnected, that we, we give less because we don't notice. Like, how can you know what's going on in people's lives if you're disconnected from people, if you don't have a relationship with people? And so one of the biggest and best things you can do to be this type of person who cares for the poor and needy in your community is to consciously identify yourself with the local church community. Like church membership, it doesn't matter, right? It matters to say, I'm here. With these people, doing life with these people over the course of a period of time and doing life in a way where then you, you hang around, you, you pay attention to what's happening. You ask people during our greeting time, how are you doing? <laughs> right? And you notice when they give a trite answer, right? You notice when someone is, is not, doesn't come often on a Sunday. And you ask what's going on. You're able to pay attention because you keep coming. You've you consciously identified yourself with a community, begin to ask the questions you need to ask in a community like this to notice what's going on in others' lives so that you can move. Or you might say, hey, some of us, I, I think they're struggling with their groceries. I think they just lost a job. I think uh, they, I think they're struggling to, to, to make ends meet. Hey, I, I'm not sure, but I, I bet they need uh, supplies for school. All right, I bet they won't ask, but we should do something still. How does that happen? It only happens when you have that sense of I'm in relationship with these people such that I will act. Such that you have it then a joyful privilege to act. Not just a responsibility, but your joyful privilege to hear and see the life that we're doing together and then to move towards those people. And the things we get from Paul is like, and we'll get into this next week, the sense of like he knows people's names, right? He, he cares about people's lives. These aren't just distant people to him. These are people he knows. How might we know one another? We've got to consciously be deeply involved in a local church and then live out those relationships in such a way that we notice what's happening. So that's one. But then two, these are going to things we've got to pray about. <laughs> we must be diligent in prayer for one another. Prayer allows us to know what's going on in others' lives. But prayer also allows these things to happen, makes these things happen. Let's read the, the last part of... Uh, of uh, this passage here. 
I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. See, Paul doesn't take for granted that what he's doing is going to work out. Right? He asks for prayer. He asks for prayer for safety from when he arrives in Jerusalem and Judea. Judea is the region that Jerusalem is located. Because there's those who don't like what's happening. So when he says that I be delivered, he's basically saying, pray that I don't get killed. Right? That, that's, that's the sense there. It also says, pray that what I'm doing will be received by the Jerusalem church. That's possible. Again, you, we remember throughout the, Rome, the letter to, to Rome, and we see this in the New Testament in general, there's tensions between Jews and Gentiles. The Jews might be like, oh, that's dirty money. We're not taking it. So he, he, he wants this to say, no, remember, we're together in the gospel. He wants this contribution to be received and that it would work, that it would meet the needs of those who are hungry and desperate in that church. And in prayer, that because that works, he's able to get to Rome. So this gospel ministry we talk about, as we often say, gospel ministry in word and deed has to be backed up in prayer. We need to pray, pray and pray that what we say and what we then do has positive effect, effect that brings people to Jesus and helps them as they live life together in Jesus. <coughs> and notice how we need to pray. He says, yes, the, the Roman church, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That word strive, he goes to say wrestle with me in prayer. This kind of prayer, he says, like, look, we got to believe the gospel together. we got to live the gospel together. But we got to pray over all that. And we got to pray together. This kind of prayer passionately, regularly, fiercely, like on our knees at times. Like this is the kind of prayer he's talking about here. Like this is the kind of prayer that says, like, this can't be just we do it once a year. We, I need you to wrestle with me. In prayer, to be talking to God often about it. That some things won't happen unless we talk to God a whole lot about it. Something, let me say that again. There's some things that will not happen that God is waiting to have happen, but He needs us to talk to Him about it. And the reason God has said so this way is because prayer is one of the things that God uses to work on our lives. So He there's things He wants us to talk about so He can work in our lives, so that by working in our lives, He can work in other people's lives. And so gospel ministry in any form, in any way, has to happen through prayer. And so let's jump on opportunities to pray so that gospel ministry might happen. And here's, so I'm, I'm, I'll start with me as a leader. I want to, to be better in giving opportunities to do that. I don't think I've done that nearly enough. And so I'm going to do some things. So I'll, this is an application point for me. <laughs> And then I'm going to ask you to respond to what we as leaders do. And so here's, like, direct opportunity. It doesn't get easier than this. Like, I have, I have like, teed it up for you here, right? Uh, if you look in your bulletin, like, here's opportunities, women, to pray. We have these prayer triads that are starting up. Uh, you and two other women praying together. And so you can see the RSVP on that bulletin, right? I'll just say it in case you don't have a bulletin, roosevelt.church slash prayer triads. It's that easy. Like, ladies, please sign up. What I've been told, like, if you're like, hey, I can only do it over Zoom, then do it over Zoom. If it's like, hey, I can meet maybe for 15 minutes before the service or after the service, do that. If you can do more, then great. Here's the thing. Uh, this might sound bold, but I'm going to say it. If, like, even half our ladies do this, like, this church will grow and people will be saved. Like, I 100% believe that. 
if even half our women pray through this over the course of the next year, two, three years, like, I, I just, I have this deep sense, like, that is God wanting to unlock something in and through this particular church. And so, like, let's pray. And I think, because I do think the reality is, Roosevelt, uh, we're, we're not in, um, do I think I'll take this the right way? We're not, like, in a Christian part of Phoenix. <laughs> um, not to say any part of Phoenix is Christian, but downtown Phoenix is not necessarily, like, yay for Jesus, <laughs> yay for the gospel, right? Now, we have a positive reputation in, in downtown Phoenix, built over 16 years here. Praise God for that because we're city servants. But the moment you say, hey, you need to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, only saved through Jesus, like, we're in a part of, of, of our city where it's like, no. We're in a part of a city that has very different views on all sorts of things. I mean, it's not just abortion, uh, things related to sexuality, things related to identity, even some things related to race, all sorts of different things. And there's a gospel we have that can answer all those things. But that's hard ground. That is hard ground. It's not wrong to say that in some ways it's harder for people to believe in the gospel now than before. Because there's so many other distractions, so many other things telling people like, no, don't, you don't need this. You don't need this in your life. What do we need to do? We still need to speak up, right? Say, tell people about Jesus. We still need to show it in how we care for people in our community and how we show this to be a community that draws all peoples together in Jesus and notices even the weak among us. But the thing that will unlock the door is prayer. We need to struggle together in prayer. So here's a practical opportunity, ladies, to pray together for that effect. That's for our women, but for all of us, let's be taking advantage of times we have to gather together as a community and pray. So we have a super prayer night coming up. Uh, Cliff David and uh, Tom Campbell are, are leading that. Uh, again, details on that on our bulletin, May 18th, 6 to 8 p.m., um, my commitment as a leader is I, I've, I've probably, I've done this too haphazard. And so I'm, I'm asking them and myself to, to say, let's keep doing this no matter what. Let's set a schedule for doing soup and prayer nights, and we will do it for as long as my ministry career is here. If there's five people who show up, we'll still do it. If there's ten people who show up, we'll still do it. We will do it no matter what. But my hope and prayer is before it's all said and done, before I retire from Roosevelt, that that is the most well-attended meeting in this church. That we have to, like, I don't know, like hire a parking attendants, right, <laughs> to, 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 to find out parking. Down, parking downtown is tough. I don't know if you all know that. But <laughs> we're, work, we're trying to work it out. Hopefully you all, you know, you all found spots, right? Good. <laughs> so you're here. Um, but I hope, so on, on these Wednesday nights where it's crowded here, like we're going like, to tell City of Phoenix, you need to send a police officer down here because we all are praying. <laughs> we got prayer to do. We got, we, got a, we, got a prayer, we got prayers to do, and we already seen God answer our prayers, so that's why more, more of us are showing up to pray longer because we've got more things to pray about. Here's an opportunity to pray, and pray so that more gospel ministry can happen, more gospel ministry in word and deed. So I hope, hope some of you show up. <laughs> I hope a lot of us show up for this first one. Um, again, because of the gospel, we are saved in Jesus Christ. Praise God. Because of this same gospel, we tell other people about Jesus. Amen and praise God. Because of that gospel, we help one another out in the name of Jesus. And over all that, we pray and we trust that God will bless it. Amen. Lord, thank you for this time and for Jesus and for 
for what it means, Lord, to be in the gospel. And thank you, Lord God, for an example um, from the Bible of how we both share and talk about the gospel and live it out. And especially in this community, Lord, help us to be a bright, shining light of what happens when people believe in Jesus. Um, that we begin, that one of the most practical things that happens is that we, we care for one another's needs. And Lord, uh, as Paul says, Lord, this can only happen through prayer. Uh, there's hard hearts, selfish hearts, uh, disconnected lives and people, all sorts of things that makes us uh, not care for others and, and not even tell people about Jesus. And so, Lord, uh, we pray. And, Lord, recognize this is one of those things you got to wrestle in prayer for. So, Lord Jesus, uh, we grab a hold of you now and say, listen to these prayers and plead with you that may things begin to change in our city and beyond because we prayed over these things and then we did them. We began to be more involved in one another's lives, to notice what's going on, to speak the truth of Jesus, and look at the results. And so, Lord, um, we trust you in these things. And bless your name. Amen.